Dear Brambling, it's your Uncle Luke here. So, here we are, part two of uh, the Irish dance solo series that I'm doing, talking about my story as a competitive Irish dancer. Now, this one really kicked my ass. This one talks about a wound that was inflicted on me back uh, in competitive Irish dance days that cut me really deeply. And it's actually one of the more frightening, more personal stories that I have to tell. Now, before I continue with that story, I do want to do what I did at the last uh, podcast that I did about Irish dance and just say that my intentions with telling my story is to heal myself. It's to give language and um, context to help those who might be competing in a highly competitive sport or dance like I did. I will not be using any names as best as I can, and I want to lead with my values of compassion, connection, and bravery uh, when telling my story. I do also want to say that I am not a licensed counselor or therapist. I am doing my own research, a lot of which comes from multiple different sources, but a lot of which does come from the book Atlas of the Heart, which has really given me some language uh, moving forward, navigating the complexities and nuances of humanity. (laughs) Um, I hope that going forward, my story could possibly help another person out and, I don't know, just help people understand where I was coming from too and I really do want to just be seen and understood and validated in some way. And I guess at the same time, me telling these stories is also a way for me to give myself some love and give myself some validation because taking the time to really unpack these stories and to put it into a narrative for my brain to just better hold on to the experience with is it's been it's been kind of life changing. But yeah, without further ado, I am here to talk to you all about the dangers of disappointment. Now, to be warned, uh, this story deals with suicidal ideation and self-harm, and please respect your boundaries when listening to this story, and yeah, take breaks if you need to. Now, Recently, disappointment has become a hyperfixation of mine. Like I said earlier, there's just been this wound in me that Irish dance has inflicted that cut me so deeply, and it's been a real journey and challenge trying to find the language to describe this wound. I've been learning a bit more about disappointment, and I've come to learn that it's actually an emotion that people tend to sweep under the rug. There's there's a lack of understanding in society when it comes to how painful and how seriously we should actually be taking it. Now, when it comes to the pain of disappointment, the book Atlas of the Heart describes it a lot like paper cuts. 
Disappointment is like a paper cut. Painful, but not long-lasting. I do believe we can heal disappointment, but it's important not to underestimate the damage it inflicts on our spirit. The book then describes a scene from the movie Spirited Away, where Haku, who was a friend of the main character, and a boy that could transform into a dragon, he was being attacked by millions of origami paper cranes. The wings of the paper cranes would cut into Haku over and over again until he eventually fell to the ground. He nearly died, covered in blood and cuts. Honestly, I remember when I saw this, it was incredible to see a mighty dragon like Haku be brought down by something that is supposed to be weak and flimsy like paper. Now, why do we feel disappointment in the first place? The book Atlas of the Heart says that disappointment is unmet expectations. The greater the expectations, the greater the disappointment. Expectations are essentially described as scenarios one plays out in their head when thinking about how the future will take place. For me, I actually tended to imagine them playing out almost like a movie, and sometimes I would think about each scene as if I was the director of the movie, and I'd think about the clothes people were wearing, the room in which the scenario would take place in, the weather, the the paintings on the walls, the decor, even what uh, shoes I was wearing. I would have an eye for detail. The problem was is that the movies I would direct in my head were not entirely based in reality, and achieving these expectations would probably require some magical intervention. I was leading myself down a road of death by a million cuts. A big question that you might be asking yourself is, how did I let it get this bad? Now, that's an extremely fair question, and um, the thing is, is that I learned to deeply distrust telling people my hopes and dreams. Oftentimes, when I attempted to share my hopes and dreams with others, I was met with comments and suggestions that made me feel like I was not worthy of them. The book Atlas of the Heart describes that when someone shares their hopes and dreams with us, we are witnessing deep courage and vulnerability. In an attempt to reality check my dreams, manage my expectations, and ensure my determination for said dream, the comments said by so many often left me feeling ashamed, so I learned to be extremely cautious when it comes to sharing my dreams. Now, I want to talk about the time when my unmanaged expectations led me into the first time I ever wanted to kill myself. Ironically, my suicidal ideation sprouted the same year I achieved my best Irish dance award, which was 12th at the World Championships. The high that someone can feel after achieving such an amazing accomplishment can be quite seductive, let me say. I felt powerful, worthy, but I also felt like if I don't do just as good or better than my next competitions, that I'd be labeled as a fluke. Now, in order to avoid feeling the fear and shame of being thought as a fluke, I would set some really high expectations for myself. 
the next major competition that was actually coming up after the World Championships was the North American Nationals in Nashville, Tennessee. Something that I did was I decided to assess the results from the Worlds competition that I competed in, and I wanted to see how many people were from North America, because they're probably going to be at the North American Nationals, and that would probably be what my competition was, right? I learned that there was only one other person who placed higher than me at the World Championships, and so I then sprouted this toxic idea that maybe I could get second, or at least top five. I just put the seed in my head that the effort I put into getting 12th was good enough to also maybe get top five at the North American National Competition. And so what happened is that I remember just feeling relaxed and maybe even a touch smug. You know, there is this uh, sense of ease that I had going into the North American National Competition. And reflecting back, I kind of realized that it was um, it was a poisoned mindset. Reality is, is that it's dangerous to assume that everything is going to be uniform, that everything's going to be consistent and the same. Believing that things will stay the same is like believing that the world is only in black and white. It's untrue, and it will only limit you to the possibilities. I gotta say that fate humbled me quickly on the day of my competition at the Nationals that year. I remember after competing my first two rounds, sitting in the auditorium and waiting for someone to read out the recalls, and I just felt so confident that I was going to recall. I mean, I recalled at Worlds. Of course I was. When the lady went up to the podium and started calling out the numbers in numerical order to who recalled, to my devastation, they skipped my number. That meant I wouldn't be dancing my set dance, and I didn't get a recall, and I didn't even place. I remember... I remember when the shock hit me. It hit me so hard that I couldn't regulate any emotions that were coming out. I remember running out of the auditorium. I had my hand over my mouth, and I was being blinded by my tears. I remember looking back for a brief moment, and I saw my dad looking all befuddled, and he, he just grabbed all my stuff and tried to follow me out. I remember sprinting to my hotel room, which took me about 20 minutes to get to because it was inside North America's largest hotel, which is the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. It's insanely huge in there. <laughs> um, but I remember when I finally got to my room, I, I fell to the ground in just pure anguish. I remember thinking to myself, I'm worthless. I am a fluke, a failure. I wasted my time and my family's money. I have no value or meaning. I'm a waste of space. I'm an embarrassment. These were just a fraction of the thoughts I would tell myself. Not placing at the North American Nationals felt like life or death to me. And I know this to be true only because after I saw my friend Ryan die right in front of me, the wave of shock and trauma that came over me 
it felt familiar. It felt like something I'd gone through before. The devastation felt like I've been, it felt like I was here before. And during the hardest moment of that trauma, I was getting flashes to this very moment in my memory. The next few months, I remember feeling such a deep depression and pain that really began to worry my parents. I started posting concerning Facebook statuses, and I was disconnecting from my family and friends, and I started to subtly say things that would allude to me wanting to end my own life. I truly felt devoid and purposeless, and it got to a point where I would hold on to knives and I would just stare at them, imagining stabbing myself. Or sometimes I'd even brainstorm what I could use to tie around my neck and hang myself with. Now, my, my dad has a history of suicide in his family, and I think he's really conditioned himself to treat any mentions of suicide with immense seriousness once he finally clues in. My depression got so bad that the straw that finally broke the camel's back for my dad was when my dad was telling me he was going out for groceries and he told me when he would be back and I just replied with, okay, maybe I'll be alive when you get back. I remember he was holding a coffee cup at that very moment and when I told him that, he dropped it immediately and the cup shattered on the floor and the coffee just splattered everywhere in his shock and fear i remember him screaming like what the fuck the next thing i remember i think he had called 911 or the doctors and a counselor or something and he was desperate in getting me some help now my dad's reaction I know was protective in its nature, but it actually made me feel really ashamed for ever being in my darkness. And the appointments that he made felt more like a punishment. But it was at that moment that I was finally able to tell my parents about the expectations that I had going into the nationals and how low I had actually sunk. I remember their incredulousness, asking, why didn't you tell us this sooner? But, like I said before, I didn't trust anyone with my hopes and dreams at all. back, I, I now realize that my friends and parents and teachers, as well as maybe some of my coaches in the past, they must have had a hard time understanding or relating to me and my goals. I mean, let's be honest, I was an odd kid who reached a world-class skill level in a unique cultural competitive dance sport. When I got 12th at the Worlds, I learned that to even compete at the Worlds, I was already in the top 1% of a population. And then to recall 
at the Worlds means I was in the top third of the 1% of the population. I mean, how many people do you know that were in the top third of the 1% of anything? That's kind of remarkable if you really think about it. And I was only 14 years old. Reflecting back on it, I now realize that it's only natural if some others may have experienced some level of envy, especially when I spent most of my childhood winning a lot of local competitions. The book Atlas of the Heart describes envy as the emotion that occurs when we want something that another person has. It's different from uh, jealousy because jealousy is when we fear losing a relationship or valued part of a relationship that we already have. Envy typically involves two people and occurs when one lacks something enjoyed by another. The target of envy may be a person or a group of persons, but the focus of envy is that one lacks something compared with a specific target, whether it be target individual or target group. When I, I remember whenever I wanted to confide into someone that I was disappointed with what I got at a competition, I was often met with comments like, yeah, but you used to win all the time, but you got to go on a cool trip. It's stupid that you're feeling sad. Well, maybe you should have worked harder. Yeah, well, maybe losing a few pounds will help in the future. I've come to learn that these comments are actually coming from Envy's ugly, toxic brother, Resentment. When people would tell me things like, maybe you should have worked harder, what I've now come to learn is that what they're really saying is that they're actually really mad that they aren't fulfilling their own hopes and dreams. Now, another poignant moment during that time is learning how frightening my Facebook statuses were as well. I remember my mom sat me down after she had a long phone call with my dance teacher at the time, and she wanted to talk to me about some of the Facebook statuses that I was making. One of which had said, I want to die in a hole. That's it. Now, most millennials, like me, um... <laughs> could probably say that hearing language like that is unfortunately really common, and it is usually not to be taken seriously. However, somehow my dance teacher at the time had this gut feeling, and he acted on it. And to be honest, I think that gut feeling could have saved my life. I remember feeling really afraid sitting down in front of my mom. She was clearly upset and angry, and, you know, reflecting back, I kind of get it because, I mean... Wouldn't you feel ashamed learning that your child wants to kill themselves? Wouldn't you feel like you failed as a parent? My mom then made me email my dance teacher explaining why I wrote the status and that it wasn't true and that I was really sorry. And again, I know that this was protective in its nature, but ultimately it felt like a punishment for feeling my own darkness. Even though my mom and dad, they could have reacted better, at least I knew that people were finally noticing my cries for help, and I had all hands on deck in some way. 
my father insisted that I still see our doctor, and I did. I remember it being a really powerful moment in my life. I remember that the doctor said that I was actually suffering from acute situational depression. And he actually prescribed me some antidepressants and gave me a small trial pack. I remember having this vivid memory of looking down at the piece of paper in the small blister pack and thinking, oh, I've been this sad. I then began asking myself some really difficult questions. Am I actually going to take these? Am I actually that sad? Was I only performing to get attention? Do I really want to put my family through this? The fear that I saw in my mom and dad's eyes was enough for me to try to release all my sadness if I could. I never took the meds. Somehow, I crawled my way out of the hole that I wanted to die in. But... I have to be honest, Irish dance never really felt the same after that. I kept trying to achieve top five at nationals, and I kept trying to win my Aroctus, and I kept trying to recall at Worlds again and trying to live up to these expectations. But my persistence was dysfunctional. I struggled with moving past my shame of being a fluke and the shame of feeling my darkness. Now, like I did in the last episode, I was hoping to take a moment to explain why this all began, why I decided to try to unpack this wound. Well, it all started, actually, um, a few days after I found out that Twitch, the uh, famous dancer from So You Think You Can Dance and The Ellen Show, had killed himself. I was just trying to understand why he would want to kill himself, what was going on. It filled me with so much sadness and confusion and frustration. Yeah, I was just trying to understand and... The only thing that I knew that we shared was that we were both dancers. And it then started making me think about the time I wanted to kill myself as a dancer. I can't speak for his story. I don't know what happened. I don't know what was going on at all. But what I can say is that holding in your hopes and dreams and letting your expectations form a movie in your head that is unachievable, not rooted in reality, and feeling the disappointment afterwards and the shame is life-ruining, life-destroying in some way. I can only imagine maybe he felt something like that too. Now, how do we move forward knowing all this? How do I move forward knowing all this? Oh, that's a really great question. First thing that comes to mind 
is the term Freudenfreud. Freudenfreud is actually a German word, um, a German compound word that actually means um, getting pleasure or joy from other people's pleasure and joy. Its opposite is Schadenfreude, which is uh, getting pleasure or joy from other people's misfortune or pain. And Freudenfreude, I think, can best be described as when we are feeling joy or inspiration of some sort, it could be described as a flame on a candlestick. And when we show people our flame, Freudenfreude is the action of the other person taking their hands and cupping the flame and protecting it from the wind. What that could look like is maybe saying to someone like, you have such courage to compete, to put yourself out there, to go for your dreams, and I'm proud of you. I love you no matter what. It can be really hard to choose Freudenfreude because, like I said, envy and disappointment and resentment are very strong and they can happen without us really realizing it. And sometimes we say comments to other people that tear them down because we were told these comments ourselves. If Maya Angelou was correct in that hurt people hurt people, then it only makes sense that when someone else is living out their hopes and dreams that it hurts a little. And so then we say the things that people said to us. And to have the courage to take a moment of awareness and recognize that maybe we have a predisposition to say critical and mean things when situations like this arise, and then to actively try to reframe and rewire. It's a lot. Kindness is strength. Connection is strength. And it takes a lot of strength to retrain ourselves into valuing connection and compassion with others. The book Atlas of the Heart actually has another part of uh, that quote when I was talking about hopes and dreams. I actually read you half the quote. The full quote actually is, when someone shares their hopes and dreams with us, we are witnessing deep courage and vulnerability. Celebrating their successes is easy, but when disappointment happens, it's an incredible opportunity for meaningful connection. Let me say that one more time. When disappointment happens, it's an incredible opportunity for meaningful connection. That's amazing. If we can take a moment to recognize that when someone expresses their disappointment in their journey of fulfilling their hopes and dreams, we have an incredible opportunity to strengthen our connection with that person. Maybe reality checking and ensuring someone's willingness to their goal is not the answer at that moment. Maybe trusting them that they are certain about their goal should be the first thing we lean into. And maybe the second thing we lean into is just cupping their flame and protecting it and telling them that, yeah, this must be really disappointing or must be really hard. 
I still love you. You're still my everything. I'm proud of you. Maybe that's all I needed to hear. I'm now noticing that I'm feeling a little grief again. Grief for a skill set I wish I had. I grieve the loss of what could have been. And I'm noticing that the inner child in me is crying a lot right now, if you can't hear it in my voice. And I, I'm grieving because I could only imagine who I could have been. And so I want to ask you, listener, is my story relatable in any way? Have you felt so disappointed that maybe you had some thoughts like I did? Have you felt the sting of resentment, envy? Do you like it when people reality check you? Can it be done in a healthy, kind way? And when was the last time you showed someone some Freudenfreud? When was the last time you cupped their flame and showed them how much you really care? I'd like to hear from you. Feel free to message me at my Instagram at Lucatronosaurus Rex. I'll post it in the show notes there. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. I hope it wasn't too, too hard to listen to. And um, I hope there is something to be learned from what I've said and what I've shared. I don't know when the next uh, part will be because, uh, like I said in the last one, this takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and um, I think, however, because my next topic is going to be even more heavy, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to try to reach out to someone and see if they might be willing to talk with me about it. And uh, yeah, have a have a guest to kind of guide me through what I want to talk about, which I hope to talk about is body dysmorphia disorder. Heavy. It's going to be, I'm scared, actually. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about it. I think it's going to be really important. And um, yeah, anyways, guys, thank you for listening. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions, as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you.